Great. Good morning, everyone. Um, this morning, we're looking at Exodus 20:13 to start with. Uh, don't worry, you don't need to turn to it. Uh, I've got it memorized, because uh, this is my first sermon at Portswood Church, so they wanted to start me off with something easy, and they only gave me four words to preach on. Uh, so, uh, you ready? Uh, you shall not murder. See, easy one. Uh, couldn't get this one wrong, Tim. Application, straightforward. Don't murder. Um, it's not relevant to, to most of the congregation. There's not a systemic murder problem going on in our church. Uh, it's not something we're struggling to grasp. There's, there's no hidden meaning here. It's stood the test of time. It's not particularly countercultural. I think most people know it's not right to murder. So it should be an easy sermon. Uh, it's a simple command, but the implications aren't so simple. Murder is a serious offense. It's permanent. There will be no restoration of relationship with that person in this life. It's the destruction of the imago Dei, the man made in the image of God. But murder doesn't really bother us that, more, uh, that much anymore. We see it in uh, films all the time. It's often the heroes doing a lot of the killing. Um, maybe the Terminator, the Avengers... Some of the most popular video games involve killing. I'm sure if you're a parent, you might have heard of Fortnite. Um, basically, you have 100 people, and 99 of them have to die so that you're the last one standing. There's a statistic that said that our children will view 80,000 murders by the time they turn 18 in TV, games, and film. With games like Fortnite coming out, I'm sure it's much more. We're desensitized to it now. We hear about stabbings, terror terror attacks, refugee crises all the time, but this is serious. God had a top 10 list of commands, and it's in there. You shall not murder. If you do, you'll come under judgment. In fact, in the very next chapter, Exodus 21, God says, if you strike a fatal blow, you should be put to death. This rule was for God's people, Israel. I'm not here advocating the death penalty. Jesus came and fulfilled the law and set out a new covenant, and we'll come back to that later. But for now, uh, why don't you take your Bibles and turn to Matthew 5, 21, um, and that is on page uh, 969. So this is when Jesus is, is talking on murder, and he said, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. So we see that Jesus, rather than letting us off the hook, ups the ante. He says, if you're angry at a brother or sister, you are subject to judgment. The same judgment as murder in this case. He says, even insulting them could put you uh, so answerable to the Sanhedrin, the high court of the time. Or you fool, puts you in danger of the fire of hell. Rakar means empty or empty-headed. It's like, you don't understand, you empty-headed. You fool, the, the original is morose. It means you fool as if to say, shut up. I mean, with Brexit Britain, how much of this you fool do we hear regularly in the news? You don't understand. 
This morning we're looking at anger and we're going to be taking it seriously. I hope by the end of this morning you're not thinking, oh, you know, it'd be nice if I was a little less angry. But that managing our anger is something that we need to confront and that you'll see in the new life that we have in Christ, there's something so much greater to bring. So let's dive in and let's take a look at anger. There are three main expressions of anger. Uh, the first expression is aggressive anger, you know, the maniac. Anger is expressed in this way, you're trying to hurt the other person, maybe emotionally, physically, psychologically, yelling, put-downs, hitting, are examples of aggressive anger. This person spills it all out, putting their mouth in gear before they think, and flying into a rage. This is the most obvious expression of anger, the one we might associate straight away. And so all of you will understand what I mean. And maybe you've got an image in your mind of someone who often reacts in this way. Certainly, many of you have experienced this firsthand. 42% of people experience yelling and verbal abuse at work. 42.2% have experienced at least one abusive act in a current and or previous relationship. For 25%, that's in their current relationship. And you might think that that doesn't happen in the church, though. That's not a problem for our congregation. But those domestic abuse statistics are from a survey of churches in the UK. 42.2% have experienced at least one abusive act in a current or previous relationship. The second type of anger is, is inward anger, the mute. This person denies the fact that they're angry. They try and repress it. They won't admit to anyone that they're angry. They try to conceal how they feel. They're surprised if someone thinks that they're angry. Who? Me? No, I'm fine. This deeply internalized anger can lead to health problems. When we get angry, there's a lot of tension. There's a lot of... You know, and that, when we try and repress that, that tension doesn't go away. It can lead to mental health problems or physical health problems with tension and high pressure, maybe pain in areas of the back. Often these people are not as good at hiding it as they think, and it spills out in places they don't expect. And finally, passive anger, the manipulator. Think passive-aggressive, maybe. A person internalizes the expression of anger, and they avoid dealing with the situation that contributed to those feelings. It could be expressed in getting even, holding a grudge, being mean at some time in the future, maybe spreading nasty rumors, not speaking to the person, you know, the silent treatment. You might damage property. Uh, they might employ sarcasm, insults, hurtful humor. They take personal offense, and they've held on to it. All of these expressions of anger are unhelpful. You might find that you identify particularly with one of these styles in the way that you get angry, or you may feel you express a mixture of all three. It's important that we manage our anger, and all of you can probably think of a time where you were on the receiving end of these expressions, and it's not been a comfortable experience. Maybe provoking a retaliation in anger Hopefully you're also able to identify with one of these in the way that you typically react. I know that I'm guilty of the manipulator. I tell myself that I'm not mad, and I even try and cover it up with positive means. Uh, I've lived with some messy housemates in the past, and uh, you know the kitchen would sometimes be a mess. So I would go and I'd angrily wash up the dishes. You know, I'd tidy the whole kitchen. And I was like, you know, I'm dealing with the anger well. The, the kitchen's tidy. That's a, a good act. But really, it was, I'd just follow up with self-righteous or snarky comments. I wanted them to know how good I am compared to them because I clean the kitchen. 
Unfortunately, half the plans I went through were my own. Uh, I'm not as self-righteous as I think I am. This is not self-control. This is not a good expression of anger. The Bible is not expecting us not to get angry, but it does tell us not to sin in it. We see this, Ephesians 4.26. In your anger, do not sin. So how do we refrain from sin in our anger? I mean, what's to say there's anything wrong with it in the first place? If we're angry for good reason... The other person is in the wrong here. I should be angry with them. The Bible contains righteous anger, right? I mean, I remember the first time that I turned to the Bible in my anger. I was about 12 years old. I was at an Armed Forces Christian Union camping weekend, and something made me really mad. I can't remember what it was, but I remember how I felt. I'm sure I'm in the right here. I'm sure I'm meant to be angry about this. What does the Bible say about anger? So I pull out my youth Bible, I flick to the reference section, and it takes me to Jesus flipping tables. Most of you know this story. You've probably stood by it in many situations. Well, Jesus got angry. He flipped tables, so it's okay for me to be angry. I, cert- I certainly did, and I opened up my Bible and I read this. It might be too small for you. Um, on reaching Jerusalem... Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. And I thought... Great, Jesus got angry, so of course it's okay for me to be angry. I'm definitely in the right, so I held on to my anger. I justified it. I justified myself in it. I'm sure many of you have done the same. Maybe there has been an awful situation where you have been wronged. An argument with a spouse, an abusive relationship, maybe that's a partner, a parent, or a sibling. Maybe those of, there are those of you in this church that have been assaulted, who have been raped, who have been stolen from, cheated on, lied to. You have been wronged and you're angry. Maybe you've been angry for a few days. Maybe that's a really recent thing. Maybe some of you years and others, you've held on to this for decades. Maybe that anger has led to a severing of the relationship there. Phrases like, you're dead to me. If looks could kill, I wish I'd never met you. Whatever it is, I'm here to tell you this morning that God doesn't want you to hold on to that anger. He does not want you to hold on to a grudge. The end of this Ephesians verse. Uh, Next slide. Um, Says, uh, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. The Jews didn't get this. Uh, Well, a particular group of very strict Jews, the school of Shammai, uh, if you're disagreeing with this, you know, it's right to hold anger, um, you're, you're in line with these guys. Uh, they, they saw this command. We all know the great command Jesus gave, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus didn't come up with this. God, well, God came up with it, and Jesus and God are one. But I'm not going into the Trinity this morning. Um, but it comes from Leviticus 19:18. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people. But love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. The group added what they thought was implied. Love your neighbor, hate your enemy. This was an accepted part of the Jewish ethic in some circles. Uh, We see it in the Dead Sea Scrolls work, uh, the rule of the community. 
Don't bear a grudge against your people. So clearly that means against others. Yeah, fine. Love your neighbor, but the Samaritans are not our neighbor. They're our enemies, so we don't have to love them. I want to iterate that hate your enemy does not appear anywhere in the Old Testament. Even just 16 verses after this one, we see the foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself. This is what Jesus highlights when he's teaching. So let's look at our second main passage for today. It's uh, just over the page, 970, and it's uh, Matthew 5, 43 to 48. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. What we see here is Jesus doesn't say, do not direct anger at them unless they deserve it. The call to love doesn't stop when their sin enters. But this hurts because some of our anger runs so deep. We have been wronged so deeply. How can God ask you to give this up, especially if it's righteous anger? First of all, are we sure that it's righteous anger? Anger appears 455 times in Scripture. 375 of those, it's God who's angry. So this is righteous anger. There is righteous anger. And there are three marks of righteous anger. Actual sin, God's concerns, and godly expression. The first of these is against actual sin. The mark of this anger is that it reacts against actual sin. It reacts against a view, accurate view of what is evil. It means for anger to be righteous, it can't arise in response to a violation of my desires or preferences. It can't arise because I have been inconvenienced or I feel that my rights and freedoms have been trampled on. Righteous anger reacts against what is really sin where there's a transgression or failure to conform to God's law. Secondly, another mark, God's concerns. When we turn to the Bible to find accounts of righteous anger, we see that this kind of anger focuses on God and his kingdom, his rights and his concerns, not on me, my kingdom, my rights, my concerns. It's the violation of God's name or God's fame that motivates righteous anger, not my name and my fame. Righteous anger is motivated by Godward and biblically informed concerns. Before it sees how someone has offended me, it sees how it has offended God. Righteous anger fights for kingdom concerns. I'm just going to pause here to talk about some kingdom concerns that do make me angry. Ones that I believe are righteously angry because I want you to know that righteous anger does have a place in the Christian walk. Women trapped in sex slavery because of the selfish demand of male pleasure. People on the streets experiencing the poverty of resources, relationships, and identity when they have not been treated with the love that God intended. Children as young as four years old working in horrible conditions as modern-day slaves because of the greed of their slave masters. Transgender attempted suicide rates being 10 times higher than the average at 48%. 
Because despite whether or not we understand or agree with their choices, we fail to love them as children made in the image of God. Maybe some of these make you angry too. They certainly make God angry in Scripture. Our God loves all his people, and this is injustice. This is broken relationship, his children hurting. What's important is that in our anger, we exhibit godly expression. Righteous anger is accompanied by other godly qualities and expresses itself in godly ways. True anger properly diagnoses what is actual sin. It focuses not on the personal offense as much as God would offense, and then it expresses itself in ways consistent with Christian character. It's self-controlled. It doesn't rant and rage. It doesn't swear and curse. It doesn't mock and sulk. It doesn't sink to self-pity and despair. It doesn't blow people off and storm away from them. Righteous anger is a controlled anger that moves towards good and specific ends. Godly strains of mourning, comfort, joy, praise, and action balance it. If you just take a minute now to think of one thing that has made you angry this past week. Under these three traits, actual sin, God's concerns, godly expression, was it righteous anger? If it relates to any of the things I mentioned before, abuse, assault, lied to, it most likely is actual sin. There has been a violation of Christ's call to love your neighbor, but maybe you have also failed to express your anger in a godly way. Maybe you have failed to love your neighbor in this. Righteous anger seeks to restore and not destroy. Are you in your anger just seeking to prove yourself right? Righteous anger serves God's agenda, not ours. And there are many sins we should be righteously angry about that serve the kingdom and seek restoration for the poor, the downtrodden, the widow, the orphan, the foreigner, the transgender community, the homeless, the sex worker. But we have to learn to express our anger in a godly way. If we carry anger in the wrong way, if we let it become a grudge or worse, hatred, then we've sinned. We've gone against God's way, which is the best way. 1 John 3.15 says, Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. It's a stern warning, a serious offense to God. So if we're not as righteously angry as we think we are, if we're often expressing it as the maniac, the mute, or the manipulator, how do we instead express our anger in a godly way? Well, I hope this morning uh, we can look at some of these things. The first, admit the anger. When something makes you angry, admit it to yourself, to the partner that has made you angry, and to God. Sometimes we're angry specifically at God. The Jews were so angry that they sent Jesus to death on a cross. And what did Jesus do? He prayed and he said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. This was the response when the Jews took out their anger on Jesus. The impossibly amazing response of a saviour as he was dying on the cross. Admit the anger to God. Please, in your anger, especially if you are angry with God in this situation, don't turn your back on him. We know that if we instead climb up onto the lap of God and we beat his chest and we say, God, this isn't fair. This person has wronged me. He's there ready to embrace us. But if we turn our back on him, how can he do so? 
The second is admit immediately. Don't let anger become a grudge. The Bible so wisely tells us, don't even let the sun go down on our anger. In the response, we're going to begin to pray for healing, particularly for those that have carried anger for a very long time. But follow this scripture. Lay it all out before God, before the sun goes down. Ask for healing. And then tomorrow, if the anger comes back, do it all again. Lay it down again before God. As long as we're clinging to our anger, God can't begin his healing. In the moment, admit immediately that this is making you angry. Be a peacemaker. It takes far more strength to forgive than it does to get revenge. If you've had an argument with your spouse, admit the anger immediately. Don't let yourself go to sleep until you've reconciled one another. Thirdly, you need to understand the anger. Work out where that anger has come from. Anger usually covers a hurt. Under a hurt, there's an expectation. And under the expectation, there's a need. Things build up pressure until an insignificant incident can lead to an eruption. Maybe you're angry at your parents, but it's your spouse who receives the flood of emotion after that one thing makes the dam break. Understand your anger. Work out where it has come from. Anger usually covers a hurt. Under a hurt, there's an expectation. And under an expectation, there's a need. Fourthly, stop and think before you speak. James 1.19 says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Anger doesn't give us what we want. People do not sit on the receiving end of anger and go, I love the way you exploded there. You know, this one is hard in the modern context. If someone offends me online, it takes two minutes to tap out a text or an email or WhatsApp and tell them just how angry I am. I know that sometimes in messy breakups of relationships, I've written out a long, angry message. Thankfully, thank God that by the time I'd finished typing, because I'm quite a long-form typer, uh, I've calmed down enough to realize what I've said is only going to hurt them. It doesn't align with other godly characteristics. So I've deleted the message. Writing it out does help, and I really recommend journaling or prayer journaling. It's a great way of expressing anger without sinful consequence. I believe that in the removed nature of emails and Twitter, it's very difficult to control anger because you don't witness the consequences of its expression, the deep hurt that it can cause to insult another person. If you're angry with someone, I urge you to resolve it face-to-face, if it's at all possible. If you won't see them for a few days, great. You're slow to anger there. You're slow to speak. But resolve it face-to-face. Resolve it before God on that day, and then go and meet with them if you can. Finally, ask God to fill you with his Holy Spirit. This is the last and by far the most important. Jesus sets out an impossibly high standard. If you've still got that passage open, you'll see that uh, 48. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. We won't always get that right. 
but we're given the Holy Spirit to guide and to instruct us. And what's inside of us comes out. Criminal acts start in the heart. And in fact, this is the point of Jesus' exposition. Anger is a heart issue. Murder is the ultimate expression of a problem that starts with anger, with pride, with jealousy. We only get four humans into the Bible before there's a murder. Cain murders his brother in Genesis 4. What started out as a heart problem here culminated in a terrible act, showing just how quickly the fall of humanity bared consequences. But we're now under a new covenant. Jesus died on the cross. And we receive the Holy Spirit as a result of that action. Have you committed murder? Have you committed murder in your heart? Have you committed murder with words? God will forgive. You may think that it's too late, particularly if you have physically murdered someone, that you're too far gone, that God couldn't rescue you out of that guilt. Or maybe there's a relationship with someone that's just too broken. There's no way God can forgive that. Let me tell you that there are murderers in Scripture. King David, who wrote many of the Psalms, was a murderer. Paul, who wrote much of the New Testament, murdered Christians. Even Moses, to whom this very command was given, murdered an Egyptian. Can you imagine how he felt as God's listing them all out? He's like, uh, love your father and mother. And yeah, he's like, yeah, I got that one. Four, one, two, three, four, five, six. You shall not murder. And he's like, oh, he knows. Uh, but these three murderers were used for amazing things because they repented and they put their trust back in God. 2,000 years ago, God's own son was murdered. He was sent to the cross, and this was God's ultimate act of judgment. Any wrong that has been committed against you, no matter how grievous, will be judged, because God is a just God. He bears righteous judgment. If you've been wronged by a Christian brother or sister, they don't bear the weight of that sin. That has been taken from them, but they were not let off the hook. Jesus died a painful and gruesome murder on the cross. That sin was paid for with his blood. Any who do not accept Jesus' forgiveness on that day will be judged as well on the final day. So don't take it upon yourself to punish them by remaining angry. You remaining angry will not help punish them. Let God be God and let God do the judgment. He doesn't desire that burden for you. Give that anger to God. Allow him to heal you. Trust him to bring fair and righteous judgment. God's anger burns against sin. Actually, God's love burns against sin. God's love is a fury of its own. God is in solidarity of us when we've experienced sin. Sometimes the anger we feel is not just our own, but we partner in God's heart. Particularly where there is injustice, we are called to love. Righteous anger at its heart is love. And if you know that this anger is a problem for you, if you regularly fall to the temptation of sinful expression of anger, 
no matter how deserved you feel it was, then know that Jesus went to the cross for you too. That your sin would be forgiven. That you would be restored to relationship with the Father. That guilt and shame for the way you handled situations with hate, bitterness and darkness would be taken onto him at the cross and replaced with love, replaced with forgiveness and replaced with light. That his Holy Spirit would come and dwell within you, removing the sinful acts of the flesh, impurity, hatred, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, and replacing them with the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And with these gifts, how much greater can our actions be? How much more unity can we bring if we truly love one another? You see, we had Jesus show us the ultimate expression of love. When people hated him so much that they took him to the cross, he, bring, he brought restoration. He died that we could be restored to relationship with the Father. And in John, he prays a prayer. He says, I pray, Father, that they would be one. That as you and I are one, they would be one also. And that by this, they would know that you have sent me. This perfect unity, restoration, justice for those that receive injustice. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that you would remove anger from our hearts and replace it with love. God, help us to turn to you in our anger. Help us not to turn our back toward you, but to come into your lap, to be embraced by you. God, I pray that you would send your Holy Spirit to give us the fruits of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. That through receiving those gifts, we might manage our anger through learning what it really means to love our neighbor, to love even as you loved, as you died on the cross for us, to lay down our lives for brothers and sisters, even if they have hurt us, even when they have angered us. God, help us to love in that way. It's only by your spirit that we can do so. We know that you have called us to be perfect, even as you were perfect. Lord, we pray that that would sink in because we are children of you. We are children of God. Lord, please send your spirit now. Please, among everyone in this room, would you send your Holy Spirit? Would you show those who are guilty of anger forgiveness? Would you allow them to forgive themselves? And Lord, would you send a spirit of unity amongst us? that you would bring healing where anger has really hurt us. We trust in your almighty name. Amen.